Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 9. The Screwtape Letters, Letter Number 5. War, What Is It Good For? Friends, welcome to Pints with Jack, your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where typically David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we are eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. As you heard me say in the beginning, typically, David, Andrew, and I, this is a uh, different episode. If you remember in letter one, when we had a guest host with uh, David and Trent Horn, we are doing that again. And so this week, I am joined with Brenton Dickieson, who there is a lot of stuff here. So this makes me even more excited for this, who is just brilliant and uh, not only a Lewis scholar, but a Lewis lover, just a passion for it. He's an adjunct instructor in literature at the King's College in New York City, sessional professor in the Center for the Study of Christianity and Culture at the University of Prince Edward Island, an instructor in spiritual theology at Regent College in Vancouver. He also does freelance speaking and writing and is author of the popular faith, fiction, and fantasy blog, A Pilgrim in Narnia. And he lives with his wife, Carrie, and his son, Nicholas, in their native home in Charlton, Prince Edward Island. And he has recently completed his PhD at the University of Chester, focusing his work on C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, and The Inklings. Oh, Brendan, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. I guess the, there's briefer bios in my Twitter byline. <laughs> That's what I should have did. I should have just gone to the Twitter byline. That would have been great. But it's fantastic to have you here. Thanks so much. And uh, this is the first time you and I are meeting, yeah. which makes this even more interesting because listeners, as you remember, these guest co-hosting are different than interviews. I'm not interviewing Brenton to get to know his works. We're going to be going through this letter together, which I love this dynamic because when you're interviewing someone, you're usually getting to know the big picture of, of where they focus their research on Lewis. Well, here we're going to see you apply your knowledge in a very specific way. And so I'm quite excited for this. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, I think, too, like there's knowledge and there's discovery, right? Like, and I think with the screw tape letters, conversations are sort of best, uh, partly because we can just end up leaving the stuff on the page if we if we aren't careful, right? You know, yes, we, we want to tease it out, but we also want it to tease us out. And I think community is best for that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm excited to see how you approach this differently than myself and to obviously we have plenty of thoughts that we've uh, planned ahead of time, but the beauty of these is we're going to let the conversation flow, mm-hmm. which is going to be great. But before we jump into this, the title, this is a new thing each week where we come up with a title and it's usually a music one and actually David has sourced all of these. And so just as all the listeners know, Matt knows nothing about movies. He doesn't know anything about titles either. So I don't know this song when David told me the name, but he said it was on the soundtrack of Jackie Chan's movie Rush Hour. Uh, but that didn't help me because classically, of course, I haven't seen this. Uh, but I do know this letter is about war, so it makes perfect sense that he would choose a title on war. Have you heard the song, by the way? War, what is it good for? Yeah, it's the it's the war, huh? What is it good for, right? That song? Is that the one? 
Oh, it's that one. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Okay, you know it. Know yeah. That. And then, of course, he goes, absolutely nothing. You know, that kind of thing, right? You know, <laughs> but uh, as a question, I think it's a it, it's actually a pretty good teaser. I, it may be the best of the titles as far as a song that at least the that one phrase at, in the in the song that's said about 20 times is a great is a great one. Um, War. What is it good for? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't actually think about that. I'm glad you you mentioned that because that is really what this letter and we're going to end up diving into and talking about is it might on the surface seem like, oh, war is perfect for Satan because there's so much destruction and evil and death. But we're going to realize that's not necessarily the case. And so that is a perfect title. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is, I mean, what does Screwtape do? I mean, it's a fun, it's a funny book in that things are kind of upside down. You have to think about them standing on your head a little bit. But in doing so, the the genius of the book is that the 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 unexpected ends up being the the drawing out the principle. And I think that's what the you look for in each chapter. What is it that I expected to see? And then, you know, what what am I actually seeing? Like the, you know, the earlier chapter on on science. You know, science. I think we have in our mind we're walking around with the idea that science and secular world has replaced faith and faith worlds. Um, and of course, it's the exact opposite in this text. That actually, that's a danger. It awakens curiosity and knowledge and reason. So, which sends us back to the the, the question of faith. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that's what makes Screwed Ape Letters for me the the most exciting to read and to reread is the upside downness, the the way it provokes something new, a new perspective, not just a new idea. And how perfect that we get to do this in such a detailed way to create space mm. for an hour conversation. I mean, that's to essentially talk about five pages an hour lets us really unpack it and try to answer those questions and tease those out. Yeah, absolutely. But before we get to do that, we're going to start with the quote of the week, which I really, I chose this one because it's just, this jumped out to me particularly. And this is from this letter. And here's what it says. Do not allow any temporary excitement to distract you from the real business of undermining faith in preventing the formation of virtues. We're going to have a chance to dive into that in this letter because that last part, preventing the formation of virtues, I'm noticing, I told, I mentioned this, well, we recorded the next letter that we released. So as listeners, as you guys are hearing this, you won't actually have heard this yet. Um, (laughs) In the future, in the future. (laughs) Next week, I will talk about this, how in each book of Lewis's, I try to, what's the thing that's really impacting me in my own spiritual journey? And I'm starting to realize big in the Screwtape letters, habits and the power of habits in making sure you are keeping those formed and working on those. And it's like that heavenly hellish creature because they really do build up. And so that that at least through six letters has, since we've recorded through six, um, is what's really hitting me. So that's why I wanted to choose this. Good. Yeah. And I think we're going to see actually, um, I, I like that because I didn't even think of that approach to things. But I think when we get talking about it, we're going to see how this works for the kind of the way that he constructs the world that we're, we're dancing in a little bit, right. That we're peeking into over, overhearing, I guess, is the, is really what's happening. Right. So <laughs> we're creeping, it. creeping on this hellish world. Yeah. Well, um, for the drink of the week, uh, do you have anything you are drinking? Well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm drinking some Bengal spice tea in a 
C.S. Lewis cup from the centennial of his birth at Wheaton College that someone gave me years ago. Um, and But for kind of drink, drink, I'm actually, I just cracked, and so I'm about to try for the first time. Um, I've, I lived in Japan for a while, and it wasn't that their whiskeys were terrible. It's just that they were undrinkable at the time that I lived there. <laughs> but people have been talking about Japanese whiskey for some time, and I was curious whether it kind of fit in the sort of the Canadian, Irish, you know, American bourbon, American whiskey, or Scotch kind of worlds, or if it was his own thing. And so I wanted to give this a try. It's a, it's like when you read the title, you know, soft orchard fruits and thyme honey are joined by a helping of peppermint in the backdrop. You know, like that kind of thing. I'm more. Um, I'm finding the peatiness of, of scotch is just a bit too much lately. And uh, so I'm looking to see if this does something different because that's where things are going towards a peat flavor. So um, that's what I'm going to be trying. So this Suntory with – and I put a uh, drop of water. So I love it. And by the way, I can I can uh, relate. I tend to like less peaty. And so I'm a big fan of Macallan. I'm a big fan of Dewar's White Label. Yeah. Those to me just are delicious. Um, yeah. We've had, Sorry to interrupt, but we've been oh, trapped. Oh, no, you're good. COVID trap. So we're recording this in October. Like, you know, we, we haven't had almost anything international come in and Canadian whiskey. And I live in Canada has its own profile, right? That's different than Irish or, or American whiskeys. And so, or scotch. And so, yeah, so we've been kind of trapped and, and it's all been kind of normal. And so I was really pleased that they found a few cases of this and put it out on the shelf. So, so this is, uh, hopefully more things start flooding in now. Um, but yeah, we haven't had any good choices in a while. So well, what, what are you victim doing? of COVID? Yeah. <laughs> another another victim, victim of COVID. Of the world. Yeah. But I listen to you guys on the podcast and I'm like, I can't even get the things you're talking about. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, well, we can get, you know, yeah, you know, Johnny Red or something. But, you know, like, it's just not, uh, you know, it's outside of the main brands. It's hard to get them. Uh, and so this is this is a bit of a treat to give this a try. And this may be a main brand now. But, yeah. What, what are you drinking, Matt? Yeah, I am actually more with a named brand this time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going with a Glenn Fittich 18. Oh, yeah, sure. In An 18. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, we will see. Um, it gives it technically the single malt scotch book for this is really interesting. So we usually read these and usually they have color, nose, body, palette, finish. Yes, that's right. This is the briefest description I've ever seen. Color, it just says old gold, nose, rich, body, soft. It's just very straightforward. And then palette, it's like mellow, rounded, soft. Oh. There's, there's just like nothing. It's not describing some of these say smells like sand dune, coriander, yeah. flower flavor, grass. It's just like this is nothing. Fairies dancing upon the, you know, the, the head of beef. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we read one that was like iced. Tastes like an iced cinnamon roll. I'm like, interesting. Does okay. it? Yeah, yeah. Well, and whiskeys are certainly getting more sweet too. So yeah, that I can see that. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I don't know. Do we try this? How does this work? Let's, yeah. Let's take a sip. Yeah. So d- certainly not leaning on the peat. Definitely in the world closer to the scotches than the mm-hmm. American whiskeys or Irish whiskey or Canadian whiskey. Um, yeah, definitely a f- not a floral, but a fruity kind of a taste like, you know, apples and citruses. Um, not for, not very bitter and a little oaky. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Wow, I like that description. Well done. Yeah, well, it's I, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty good because I'm about to say – I, I almost get nothing from this, which is really what the, the book gave me. Nothing. Um, it's not. It's not PD. It's uh, 
It's definitely smoother. Mm. But for an 18, and honestly, the score they give in the book isn't that great either. It gives 76. Oh. For an 18, it's not that great. Um, mm. McAllen, 10 and 12. So I'm a big McAllen 12 person, gets like a 91. And I love that. This definitely has more of a burn. Yeah. Well, and this is a, I'm drinking, it's a blend, so it's not aged, but it has a various, you know, a number of ages in it. And this actually strikes me like, like an eight, um, like an eight or 10. So it has that, but it doesn't have the weight that you should get from an 18, which you're not getting, I think, right? The, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there should be a little struggle, I think, within 12 or an 18. Yes. Yeah. But that's, that's intriguing. Well, good. I actually really like mine. So this will be a good hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now for the Patreon toast, uh, one of our gold level supporters. So we're just so grateful for all of our supporters. You guys are fantastic. You allow us to um, help cover the cost of editing these with our editor. He does a fantastic job that allows our quality to be so much better. And so we thank you for that, guys. And so I'm going to toast today, Chelsea Miller. Mm. And Chelsea, the, the toast is going to be based on the letter as usual. May Satan's attempts to undermine your faith never stop you from the beautiful practice of forming virtues. Mm. Cheers. Cheers. It is nice just having sips of scotch while you're doing this. Mm. What is that? Actually, that is really nice. Mm. Good, good. Beautiful. So for the 100-word summary, David put this together as usual. He is a faithful individual to this practice, well, even when he's not on the podcast. So here we go. Screwtape criticizes his underling for his last letter, which he says lacked necessary detail, saying that his nephew is distracted by the war. He gives him a stern reminder not to risk losing his prey as a result. Screwtape asks for more information about the patient so that they can decide whether to make him an extreme patriot or pacifist in their pursuit of his soul. Screwtape concludes his epistle this week by enumerating the dangers of war, distracting people from self-absorption, driving some to faith, and reminding everyone of the inevitable inevitability of suffering and death. Thank you for that, David. Let's jump in, Brenton. So before we do this and, and start unpacking the the key quotes and, and marching through this and teasing things out, what was for you the big theme or or couple of the major themes that really jumped out to you in this chapter that that hit you? Yeah. Well, what I'm I'm a big fantasy literature reader or sci-fi reader i'm a big speculative fiction buff like this is and so what's and what i've been trying to do on the scholarly side is come up with a way of thinking about how lewis how he brought together these worlds how he made these fictional worlds or speculative universes and and to what degree they're consistent and things like that. And this letter is neat in that in such a brief way, it gives us a huge hint at a whole demonic world that Screwtape is living in. And just a, a few words, like the whole question of war and how to respond to it. And then Screwtape sets himself apart from that world and says, well, yeah, well, there's that. But, you know, if we really want to remember our goals, 
this is the approach that we want to take. So Screwtape is the preeminent scholar here, the the expert, <laughs> right? And uh, at this point, it sounds most like the beginning of like an academic talk or something, like where it's like, you know, uh, Peterson and McClowski say this, but if we really look at the data, right? And that's and that's what Screwtape's doing here, is there's a mainstream uh, effect in hell, and then and then Screwtape's trying to refine that for uh, efficiency. And Screwtape's all about utilitarianism. He'll use anything to get the job done. And so that's really the technique. And then when we t talk about the technique, um, and we can talk about this as we go, what I realized as I was listening and reading to this and thinking about this was what Screwtape was wiping away actually still revealed something in me like that. So it's not unimportant what he wipes away. When he says not this, but this, the not this is mm -hmm. still sort of effective for me. Yeah. I like the way you said that, looking at data, the technique side of it, because that is, I didn't think about that, but that's that fits very much. I was I, My main thing was very similar, but stated in a very different way, mm. was this letter talks a good bit about fear and suffering, but what's important is he goes, all right, what are, how do we mechanically take advantage of that? Which Absolutely. is kind of what you were saying with the technique side of things. How, how do we use this and leverage this where his apprentice is more just getting excited for on the surface, like the popular idea, Oh, fear and suffering. This is great. I'm getting drunk on some wine here, a little delirious. <laughs> and this is all good. I'm tasting this, the, the sweetness of, of their fear and suffering, not realizing that. And no, 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 easy. Let's get to the mechanical, the duty side, your experiences and pleasure. And I like the way you phrase that. Yeah. And, and what we're, as we get into the beginning of the letter, as you're speaking, it kind of strikes me that I guess we're already into the details, aren't we? But the, the war, a let's, war do, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So a war has broken out. Like the war has broken out. Uh, Lewis wrote this in the midst of World War II. And the war has broken out. And this is, of course, terrifying for, for everybody. Um, and and we'll, we'll focus in on what he's focusing in on. But I think we're supposed to imagine like a big party in hell of these young tempters that are just like, yes, destruction. <laughs> and they don't even know about the whole totalitarianism, like the concentration camps. They don't know about all of that. All they know mm -hmm. is the standard desperate, you know, want and poverty and sorrow and um, – you know the, the hatred of war. So all they know is that, and I and I've been trying to think like, what would that, what do, what would that feel like? And I think it's like, you know, like at a big concert uh, of whatever music, and then all of a sudden like that crescendo comes in, the big part, the big hit, and like how the whole crowd erupts, you know, or how the, our hearts rise with that group, or. Um, uh, you know, the beauty of a of painting or a fashion show or whatever people are into where there's this holy, whoa, you know, and there's this, it's almost like perfume in a room or eruption of rockets. Like it just lights up hell and it's physical, tangible, um, instinctive, animalistic, like pheromones. That's, that's the lusty greed that the demons have of the pain and suffering that's going to come for who knows how however many months or years, right? I, I do love that language he uses. I, I think I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that jumped out to me in, in other letters in this one, particularly that banquet, you tasted the wine yeah. or the delirious of joy. The language Lewis uses, it really does seem that you said animalistic, carnal, like there's just this... They're devouring and savoring every bit of the anguish and bewilderment of the human souls they're talking about. I mean, that language is rich. 
Yeah, yeah, but it's almost like uh, jeepers. I, I haven't quite found it because there's something perpetual about it. When we, Lewis writes a sort of preface later on in his life, and he talks about screw tape as the anim or the the demons are able to savor and devour one another. But then there's this eternal devouring language, mm-hmm. and so it's almost like a like a slave in the cellar or a uh, I haven't quite found it. It's, it's like a feast though, that you can continue to experience. And so I wonder if perfume or something else is, is, you know, it's like a, you know, a, a you know, a festering compost pile, right. That they enjoy. Cause it's that's what they enjoy. Right. Because what, what are they savoring? Right. It's this, mm-hmm. it's what kind of person curls his lip up in pleasure at the suffering of another. Right, sociopathological, right, or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's that grinning evil that we have in film. Very narcissistic, actually. I mean, if you think, in, yeah, in, and if you think of how there's almost like, I mean, the point. This is a simplification, but if you think of heaven as when you surrender your will and you align your will with God's will and you accept it when you say to Him, "Thy will be done," and how is not just saying, "My will be done." That is like pretty much a form of narcissism. So it's it's, it's it is interesting that these demons who have obviously essentially said, "My will be done." Um, and turn from gods, they do have these narcissistic tendencies. So they would get a sick pleasure out of other people's destruction. Absolutely. And I think really the best, pa- we're talking about pairing. I don't know, you know, maybe wine's a better pairing conversation. I'm not a <laughs> wine guy, but the uh, um, the best pairing, I think, of, of screw tape, um, like I, I, in my work, I kind of put it with other books. But one of them is, I think, The Great Divorce. I think The Great Divorce is mm-hmm. the answer to this book. You did The Great Divorce, I think you guys. It's also David's my favorite book. Andrews argues it's his best is Till We Have Faces. We like to think The Great Divorce. There's a little ongoing debate. I'm I'm with you guys. Although obviously Till We Have Faces is kind of elevated. Um, you know, it's, it, it's better as literary fiction. But as a theological experiment, I think the great divorce is better and it's the answer to screw tape i think and so reading those together and then we see kind of all this energy of hell but then we discover in the great divorce that you know hell is actually minute and small and insipid and tasteless and colorless and and so there's all this celebration over something that would be really puzzling for anybody on the outside to even appreciate that right yeah like put the two worlds together and see what happens it's a really intriguing experiment yeah what would you say to i'm curious your thoughts we've been talking about devouring and it's here we have this this are tasting the wine it is that carnal devouring almost of the human soul at the same time i get the sense from some of other lewis's works that god's love is devouring but in like a positive sense there's like a negative devouring here with satan and a positive devouring how would you articulate the difference between God's devouring love, which is, and, and maybe that is the wrong word to use. I'm thinking of some till we have faces here versus Satan's devouring, not so much love. <laughs> yeah. Well, what if we, what if we actually switch the word devour to consume? Okay. okay I like that. Yep. And, and so it was actually George MacDonald who takes uh, the song, who comes with that phrase, all consuming fire. God's love is an all-consuming fire. So this is George MacDonald was a 19th century preacher and fantasy writer whom, who C.S. Lewis greatly admired, really partly responsible for Lewis's conversion to faith. And he came up with the all-consuming fire, which was a song, I think, from about 20 years ago or so, 25 years ago or so. And uh, 
and it's an interesting phrase, I guess, consumed. Notice the word con, like there's something, to, there's a togetherness in that word. Mm-hmm. Uh, consummate, right, is a kind of a, a connection between things, not a dislocation of things. Whereas devour is a pushing away of things, a splitting apart of things. And I think that, yeah, God's love is an all-consuming fire, um, but it's a willful thing. We've thrown ourselves into it. We've given ourselves over to it, and so then it consumes. But in the in the way that a as a fire, kind of those desert fires where the fire rages through the the wilderness, and then uh, the seed is born from the the fire. These kind of yeah. fires and things like that. Yeah, it's like that. There's a there's a burning, and then there's the seed that's burned out of it. That's why the phoenix is a great symbol for Christian faith and and spiritual resurrection as well as that more the hope of heaven because the the phoenix explodes into flames and <laughs> the phoenix is reborn out of the fire out of the ashes yeah i'm picturing harry potter right now that scene in dumbledore's office <laughs> i mean for for years i've had the image in it for years there's a local chapel that that has an image of the phoenix and i've been contemplating it since i was young in faith and haven't quite found the right story or or poem or something to shape it in me. I'm I'm dissatisfied with every treatment of the phoenix, but it's a great <laughs> symbol. And some churches, like churches, have like eagles and stuff for the lecterns. But some have you can find the phoenix hidden, the firebird hidden among its myths. But yeah, so I think it's like I think consume is a better word. Um, and it's true that we can consume thoughtlessly. Like you, know, we can drink you know, 18 year old scotch as if it's, you know, Kool-Aid or something, right. Or Pepsi. Um, and Pepsi may be good or Kool-Aid may be good. Um, but you can make Pepsi in like 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, you can you know, make it in seconds if you have one of those fancy machines, but, uh, it takes 18 years to make what you're drinking there. So, um, yeah. So I think consuming in the positive sense works. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of, short term versus longer term building an 18 year uh, a scotch i love how he points out here next to not let himself get distracted from the bigger business and so this is where actually the quote of the week came through so lewis writes if by steady and cool-headed application here and now you can finally secure his soul he will then be yours forever a brimful living chalice of despair and horror and astonishment, which you can raise to your lips as often as you please. So do not allow any temporary excitement to distract you from the real business of undermining faith and preventing the formation of virtues. This is just what you mentioned, first of all, in the beginning, mm. that this chapter is so much about the the technicality of, okay, yes, you're, you're feeling pretty high on your horse right now. You're, you're, everything's going great. You're feeling good. You've tasted a little of the wine. It's great. You're at this big banquet, but realize that you can't lose this and we need to think through long-term here. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is, uh, yeah. And I think, I think actually you captured it super well. What, what, are, what are we doing? And the, pr- the problem with the hell world, I mean, the intriguing thing about the hell world is, I think Christians sometimes feel beleaguered. I think people feel people feel beleaguered in general in their spiritual life, even if they haven't kind of tethered themselves to the Christian faith or to to a church or something. Um, and that they can move into de- a defeated feeling really easily. But there's actually just a set, there's all as you're reading Screwtape, when you read the whole thing through, there's a sense that he will lose. Like there's a sense that they're just up against insurmountable odds. 
it's such as a flip, I think, that the back-against-the-wall feeling that Christians in the last couple of generations have felt in North America and Britain, uh, I, I think I think Lewis would challenge that and say, like, ultimately, this is, you know, uh, this is like just the just a, uh, another war in history. This is just another yeah. part in history that that it's uh, like in the screw tape world, it's unwinnable in the screw tape in the book that that Lewis has written because they cannot accommodate for love. They can't account for it. They don't believe it's real. They can't understand it. They can't experience it. They can only experience the devouring, the eating, Mm -hmm. taking from one another, the narcissism, I think was the word you used. And uh, so I think that's the great great work here is that it's not lost, right? There's There's a winning side. Now, on the other side, there's a lot of souls that are lost, I think, along the way. And so for, for Screwtape, he's, he's so very focused on, well, what's in front of us? What can we win? And I think that that's, uh, that's actually a great example of, uh, of you know, uh, the, the writing and, and making that work um, together. So, yeah. And here we see so much of when he says, undermine the faith and preventing the formation of virtues. Well, fast forward a, a little bit later in this section he starts talking about the extremes. And so we're starting to get into, okay, we've got this fear, we've got this suffering, and we've, but, and it's it's tasting good to Wormwood, right? And Screwtape's saying, okay, great, but you're, you're getting a little taste of this, but guess what, we've gotta, we gotta do a lot more here. And so in this case, this is where he starts turning to the extremes. And he says, give me without fail in your next letter a full account of the patient's reactions to the war so that we can consider whether you are likely to do more good by making him an extreme patriot or an ardent pacifist. Mm. There are all sorts of possibilities. So here he wants to bring him to extremism. What I'm curious from your perspective, we see later in the letter of extremes are good for Satan and lesser extreme devotion to our father. But I also see in scripture, I see where it says, um, don't be lukewarm, be hot or cold. So I'm just curious, like reconciling this dynamic of extremism is bad here, but then in scripture, sometimes we see it's better to be hot or cold. Um, just don't be lukewarm. Well, I think we have to ask the question, do we want to read these letters as a, you know, as a sort of a, a mirror on us in culture, or do we want to read them in a way that makes us comfortable? <laughs> you know? Ah, uh, yeah. And the reason I ask is because in letter seven, it does, like as you reference, it says, you know, all extremes except extreme devotion to the enemy are to be encouraged. Now, not always, of course, but at this period. And we're left with the question, what is this period? Good question. Yeah, and so I'm I'm kind of like uh, I like following culture. I like uh, I'm a cultural critic. I like following to see what's going on politically throughout the world, and in the cultural voice of what's going on in the moment, it's a bit muted or or um, attenuated. It's like it made more extreme by just the fact that we're trapped inside our houses with our cell phones or something, you know? So there is a kind of a weird moment uh, for those listening in years from now, we had a thing, we had a pandemic and, and we're all kind of <laughs> sitting through uh, COVID-19 here through 2020. Uh, it's been an unusual year, but the culture, mm-hmm. the, the cultural political feeling in the United States in particular, but also in other places, Britain, Canada, France, that's actually been building for a long time. And we saw an echo of it back in the 1990s. And what was really interesting in the mid 1990s, like like verbal guns were drawn, like there were these 
barriers of people with shouts and insults across. I mean, nothing, anything like today. But it was as extreme as anybody had seen since the Civil War in America. By the year 2000, nobody cared. Um, like five years later, um, the youth didn't show up to vote um, in, a, in an election where actually the whole thing was won by a handful of votes, right? So mm-hmm. it's an intriguing thing, like what, like this... Um, moving back and forth is undulation of culture where we fit. What's to be, what's to be encouraged in our moment? Now, I think passionate faith is always to be encouraged. And mm-hmm. but here's the challenge. I don't remember exactly where it is, but remember Screwtape's logic in the book, which is, okay, well, so we can't do anything about his faith. Let's go ahead and let's mess the faith up. Let's reprioritize the faith. Okay, so. It commits to patriotism, commits to or patriotism, commits to uh, pacifism. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't matter which, right? Um, and then once we do that, we have them feel like this is actually the most important part of the faith. And then the next step is that it's actually this is actually one of the you know supreme bits of the Christian faith is that it supports patriotism or pacifism, whatever opposites we might see. And then now actually the. You know, I'm a patriot and pacifist, and my Christianity is the main support. So Christianity is now the means to the end, right? Interesting way to put that. Yeah. And so somewhere, somewhere, I think that's letter seven. But like, what do we say about our political progressives and our political traditionalists or conservatives? What do we say about those who are in the midst of these moments? Okay. And I'm actually not going to come down on any side or something. Uh, and it's not unique to America or the current moment. But quite often I see people who, you know, take a positive quality, you know, racial equality, uh, uh, financial security or financial good management or uh, beneficent government or whatever, right? Take, take a positive quality. And then through a series of steps, now uh, they have overlapped that. They've equated that with their faith. And so that actually Christian faith is the response to whatever, whatever social issue it is, you know, uh, sexual issues, uh, family issues, mm-hmm. um, uh, issues of freedom, uh, issues of liberty, that kind of thing. And we've equated those things. So, and then the next step in our culture is now we negate people that don't fit in those perspectives. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And it's actually, it's our, our politicians do it frequently and it's not just on one side or the other. If you don't, if it's not that, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. It's if you don't agree with me, you don't exist. You're fake. You're mm-hmm. you don't you don't get a voice. You're not valuable. So that's the real. I think that's the voice to us in this cultural moment. Um, this particular podcast will come out somewhere around the American election um, in 2020, just before or after. Uh, um, you would know the schedule, Matt. I think it's first week of November. So I think you, I think it's yes. the same day. I don't know <laughs> yeah. um, where all this, the whole fate of the world seems sitting on this particular moment. And, and maybe it is, you know, you should do the things that you're called to do. But Romans 12, two talks about, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And that word for uh, conforming to the pattern is really interesting. It's the word uh, schematic. So don't allow the map of your life, the blueprint of your life, if you were to, to, to 
printed out on an overhead transparency sheet and set it upon the map of the world, can you see the lines distinctly or are they the same? Are your schematics matching? And I would actually translate that for our moment, you know, uh, to, from world to world system, which Paul uses in Ephesians, that same idea. What What is the world system? You know, is that your your liberal theology, your progressive politics, your conservative uh, theology, your fundamentalist ideas, these are actually conforming to patterns of the world. In and of themselves, whatever goods they may have remain, but when you equate them, the whole thing is lost. It's not, the faith perspective doesn't mean anything anymore. It, it becomes sub to that. So now, my only the only point of my Christianity is the vote because of end of life issues, you know, ab abortion, sexuality, whether I can carry a gun, you know, uh, what, what I can dress like when I go to school or whatever, all issues for you to talk about. But once they become the main thing, then everything else falls apart. And that's totally a Scritapian value is to get us on that point. Yeah. This is making me think a lot of the letter that will be released next week, letter six from when you're, when our listeners are hearing this and I'm going to forget the three concentric circles. It was fantasy, something, and will. Oh, yeah, the imagination, the – oh, yeah. Um, yes, and it's it's actually – it's brilliant, and, and I, sh I should have these intention. And, but it's basically the opposite of C.S. Lewis's only, own return to faith, right? He started on the outside with intellectual questions. Um, then he moved to the inside – um, with other questions, then he finally made a willful choice to kind of move across. Um, and so they're, they're, they're sort of Greek classical circles, but yeah, go, go ahead. I, I've lost them in, in my mind, but I could look them up here. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, and then I realized David moved those show notes to a, a different folder. I'm like, ah, it's going to take me a sec to dig up. But the point of it was it's what Screwtape wants is for us to in the fantasy realm to, for example, feel very charitable about some of the issues that you pointed out, whether it's an immigration issue or an abortion issue. And you have these thoughts that make, that feel very virtuous and mm. they're just very good quality thoughts towards these things. But then in your will, your neighbor next door to you, you treat them poorly. And particularly if they have a different view than you, you treat them very poorly. And so your, your will is where your malice intention is. Your fantasy is where your good thoughts are in what you, in screw tape likes that because in reality, Christianity is so much about how you treat people around you and what you do and your actions, at least I think what Lewis was trying to make that point there. And so I, I was thinking of that as you were talking about a lot of the political things where the political becomes number one and the Christianity number two. That's very quickly when you forget that, let's say you and I have polar opposite values. My responsibility in this moment as a Christian is to love you completely and to will that love. But because the political becomes number one, you're my enemy now. Right. And that becomes dangerous. Well, I mean, what, like speaking as a theologian, I have to ask the question, was your political theology made in the image of God or was your neighbor made in the image of God, right? And <laughs> this, is, question. this is like, we're, we've got to be constantly challenged by this. And cheapers, I don't understand why people aren't burning screw tape right now because screw tape goes on and says the crazy thing a little bit later um, in, in the letter, right, which is, not only is there extremes to consider, because mm -hmm. you know, Screw Dave doesn't care, right? Either extreme is fine. 
You know, you would think that pacifism would be more of an enemy because everybody's peaceful. Well, no, then there's just tyranny and self-righteousness and everything. He can work in any mode. It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's great. You know, you think, well, the little old nun, you know, on the pro-life line. Well, there's 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 pride wherever mm-hmm. we, we may tread, right? It's a it's the reality that screw tape has is he you know, he wants the you know, the heads I win tails you lose phenomena all the time, all the time. But what he says is unfair is actually God. So God is unfair. Now, why is God unfair in Screwtape's view? It's because God sometimes looks at intentionality rather than actually the framework of the cause, right? The cause that I've been talking about. Um, For those listening around the world, you can insert your own local causes where people like will die on that that hill right and in this case it's i you know screw tape says i know that the enemy disapproves of many of these causes but this is where he the enemy god is so unfair he often makes prizes of humans who have given their lives for causes that he thinks bad and he calls this monstrously sophistical, like as in it's like some sort of technicality or some kind of weird spirituality that the humans thought them good and they were following the best they knew. But it's actually the principle that God puts in us an ethical vocation, an ethical heart to hunt this down. And this is actually one of the beautiful things about this generation of youth like millennials and, and the next generation is they're very ethical. It's it's not everything goes. It's actually it's very it's all my students will my will say you know it's very clear that we need a response to the environment. We need to talk about race. We need to actually talk about how we live together. You know, uh, and these are re- like it's very ethical. You know what the foundation of ethics is. We don't talk about in our schools, so they may not have talked about it yet. But they certainly are ethical, and that's. Um, that's that's intriguing. I think, and in, in, that's I think that's a good challenge to us to say, well, what's at the heart of our conversation? And that so much reminds me of it reminds me of two things. But first, with the Great Divorce, in how the the big theme for me for the Great Divorce, by the way, was that mm-hmm. sentence of "There's two types of people: those that say to God, that will be done, and those whom God says, Thy will be done." Yeah. And that hit me hard for like the months after reading it. I'm going into to mass, I'm on my knees and you know, I'm like, God, you know, thy will be done because I'm scared that that's my will. Um, <laughs> just like, let this please. But the point of, of I think some of what you were bringing up there, Lewis, is making is if your will and desire in that moment when you're a part of a cause that might not actually be exactly what God intended, but you have a genuine desire to live out his, his will or the goodness, your intentions are very pure and you do get it wrong because you missed the mark a little bit due to things that are somewhat out of your control. You've had certain influences in your life, certain teachings, people have taught you different things, and God recognizes that, but he knows the purity of your intention. Mm. I love that Lewis points out so much that he honors that. And Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I mean, maybe it's a point people want to challenge. And look, you know, I I have, uh, you know, friends deeply involved in, in social justice, right? And at some point you might say, well, there's nothing more important than X. Good, okay. Um, on a on a conversation in society, it still matters. Two two things still matter. One, you know, where's our faith perspective, right? So this is your vocation. Still, our faith is primary, and our vocation is secondary. And that includes, mm-hmm. you know, pastors and priests and painters and everybody else, right? Professors and 
and things. So it's, it's still our vocation comes out of the faith. And so if we end up, if we end up being on the, the, the front line of a culture war and our issue is more important than the faith question, then we're just the same as a, a, a pastor, a priest that's in the pulpit who no longer believes but continues to to offer the word, offer the sacrament, offer the prayer, it has the mm-hmm. same effect because now it's no longer vocation. It's actually just a good thing to do in that in that framework. And then the second yeah, yeah like it's a scare it's a scare. I re- I really mean this. But the second thing is we're still, no matter how important our stuff is, it's still super important, it's still central that we treat one another um as images of God. Right. What uh, Screw Tape later calls it, um, you know, amphibians. These spirit man spirits. You know, this this special category of being that God has even taken humanity up into uh, uh, up into God's self. Right. Like this is this is a, this is a rift. It's in in Screw Tape. It's actually the dignity of humanity versus the dignity of the austere spirit of the demons that's the essential riff why why does satan step back and bring a you know a third of the stars into hell a third of the angels into hell because they rebel on this issue that the dignity and corporality is being given to humanity and the austere you know spiritual reality of of the angel is being forgotten and so so it's actually human identity at the very center of what this book is is who we are the book actually could go further in who god is but of course screw tape won't know screw tape can't tell the truth about that because screw tape god is just pain to screw tape right that uh presence what is that word the pre- the eternal presence that never goes away or something right uh they're always haunted haunted by the reality of god yeah you're blowing my mind right now by the way yeah well it's like sunlight to a vampire right like that's what god's but they never oh what was that film dogma i know you don't watch films but like 20 years ago (laughs) there's these group of kind of post-catholic punks that came up with this film called dogma and there's all kinds of weird stuff in it it's it's um you know god decides to take a break and goes and kind of takes the form of you know, a nice guy on earth, but then gets beaten up by punks. And so God's in a coma. So it's not, I mean, it's not a very, it's a pretty heretical film, but it's a beautiful film (laughs) because at one point, two angels that were kicked out of heaven and they, they talk about the yearning. So they're not demons. They're just, they were just ejected from heaven for making um, choices, um, mistakes. And they talk about the eternal yearning for God. And it's actually one of the most spiritually poignant points I've ever seen in film is the hunger that ever the, the God's presence is everywhere. And so that for for screw tape is all pain, as we see in the 31st letter, the very last letter, that there's it's real the light of, of heaven is pain to demons. Well, they feel it. Um, and and that divides the kind of whole world is that humans have this privilege. So it's actually really important to love your neighbor. I know this is very Sunday school now, <laughs> all that stuff. And now where are we at? We're at stuff that a four-year-old can tell us, right? That it's better to be good than not to be good. To be like it, to enter into kingdom of heaven, be like a child. Well, I mean, I think we should be, I mean, I think that we should teach Sunday school. Like, I think we should you know, teach kids. And <laughs> and if we don't have kids, I mean, go and, you know, teach somebody, you know, like, I mean, do it well. But like it's, kids will bring to us that reality because they just kind of say things out loud, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a really, 
this this letter has been working on me as I prep for this. It's been working on me for all week and kind of reading me um, because it's my it's it's in my spirit to just say that's it i'm out you know like it's the end you know this is enough you know we need to do this and it's i'm gonna light the world on fire until i get this done well maybe we have to light the world on fire maybe my cause is just um and still my neighbor is the image of god that exact concept from the letter of next week the concentric circles which Mm -hmm. is somewhat uh and what everything we've been talking about here has been weighing on me the last week as well, actually, because I've I have a number of things with pints with Jack with a business I had started a couple of years ago that take a lot of my attention, and so then between those things that are are that take a bunch of my attention, then when I bring in my spiritual life, a lot of my free time is devoted to trying to cultivate silence and solitude and that devotion with God. That I very quickly forget about the other part of the life of those around me and how I'm treating them. I'm honestly neglecting friendships, neglecting relationships right now in my life. I'm neglecting many things because I think these causes are bigger. So Pints with Jack, as it's gotten bigger, you feel a more obligation that this is a gift in this audience and you have to pour into that. And then the business I'm doing, same thing. I have a bigger vocation that I want with that, with the kingdom of God. And so I'm pouring into that. And so it's taking all of my energy, but now I'm not pouring into the, the people right around me. And in fact, there's people in the office space that there's a couple, a couple people that talk all the time. And every time they stop me, I quickly come up with an excuse of why I got to get back to work to not be charitable and talk with them in the moment. And I know deep down, particularly one gentleman is deeply lonely and learning, yearning for interaction. And my thought is you're about to steal from me and I got to get back to work. And so this has been just piercing me this last week of like, Matt, you need, you have a wake up call here. Um, so. So it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's so much easier. Like it would be so much more spiritually comforting uh, on the front end to say, oh yeah, actually this letter, this series of letters, I mean, we should really apply this to you or you or them. Mm-hmm. I, and I think I think that's it. And I, I've actually been a little concerned about the way that Lewis is taking up politically in some contexts where certain kinds of journals and theologies and, and political ideas take him up to quote something and say, now, haha. In fact, he was brought into this, like the whole COVID conspiracy theory camp this year, right? Like, you know, that he wrote this letter, you know, for this article 70 years ago, which of course he didn't do. And, you know, uh, I think actually, if you read this chapter, uh, this letter five, it's actually really poignant about COVID, uh, which we can talk about, but he, he didn't, right. It's, it's this, it's this um, wanting to appropriate him, but it's a fundamental with screw tape. It's a fundamental misunderstanding screw tape letters. So I'm a Canadian uh, Christian theologian, screw tape letters is not me about me than reading the United States or reading France and their political economy is about reading me. Right. And that's always got to be the first thing. It's me who wants to be on the extreme edge of things. And, and so, um, and then I end up living in this dangerous middle way because it's not a middle way that I'm undecided. It's actually trying to navigate, you know, um, I believe these things and I want to do these things. I think these things are good, beautiful, and true. Um, but I, ultimately we have to win. Um, you know, there's uh, the, the kingdom is bigger than me. The love of God is bigger than me. 
um, one neighbor is more important than all of my ideologies. You know? Yeah, all I want to do is actually do the thing that I like doing, that I'm called to do. <laughs> you know? So the idea of you know, helping uh, the old lady across the street or whatever the Boy Scout version of what we're talking about is, right, is, is just in my way. <laughs> you know, the, the perfect example of this is uh, my favorite saint, St. Saint Maximilian Kolbe. He's considered a saint of Auschwitz. And long story short, he in Poland, he had built this almost empire of spreading through a magazine, a faith-based magazine to almost a million people, I believe a month is what they were reaching. And then when Auschwitz happens, he could have escaped, but he wanted to stay to his duty. And then he gets brought into Auschwitz. And long story short, they had this thing where if someone ran away, they would kill 10 people to somewhat disincentivize people from escaping. And they called up 10 people. One guy starts freaking out and St. Maximilian Colby volunteers to go in his place and ultimately dies for him. And I'm thinking to myself, because he's such a gifted person and he was, he's, his, his business was having such an impact. You know, he's, he's also might escape this, that if he not escaped this, but survive this, if he survives, he can go back to impacting millions of people. Yeah. And instead he gave his life up for one. Yeah. The economy is wrong. The economics are t- the statistical analysis, the cost benefit ratio. Yep. I would have said, don't do that. Your life is more valuable. That's right. In balancing <laughs> the family budget of, of good deeds this is the wrong move, yep. but it is, I mean, Eli Wiesel, uh, the Jewish um, professor who came through the camps, he says, you know, someone says, where is God? And he said, there on the, the hallows, the, that child hanging there, dying for the Nazis, right? Dying for us. And, and I think that, that, you know, in the end, being, being Christ-like is the calling, <laughs> like, Right. And, and there's kind of like two other things in the letter that I think are, are really intriguing, but based on kind of what you brought up, one is, you know, war has a, uh, screw tape says, has certain tendencies inherent to, uh, in it, which are in themselves by no means in our favor. Now we may hope for a good deal of cruelty and unchastity. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then he goes on, but, what I'm struck with is how closely, and if you read the 1960 uh, preface, uh, or I mean, I think it's in the 1982 version of Screwtape and Screwtape with Letters. It's called uh, uh, Screwtape Proposes a Toast. It's called uh, the new preface. Lewis actually talks about there's concentration camps, which in themselves are evil, but they're actually the fruit of a whole bureaucratic line of small men making decisions. Huh. Yeah, and and it's and this is what Hannah Arendt, when she she wrote her book Eichmann on Trial, the great mastermind of the of the Holocaust, she discovered that he was actually just somebody who wanted to make sure that the ledgers were right. That that you know for for him like people going into the furnaces at Auschwitz and other concentration camps weren't human beings, but just merely points on a ledger that this was about making a good system, right? I mean, we talk about systemic evil. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. he, Eichmann was the genius of it. And so she uses the phrase banality of evil, that, you know, evil is just like every day, right? And she doesn't mean like, she means that the Holocaust reality of evil is like everyday evil. 
um, that it's people in business suits that do this. I mean, actually, with my students, I sometimes say this. You understand that the Holocaust was perpetrated not really by a dozen or two dozen super powerful men at the top of Germany's chain, but by several thousand young people your age, 18 to 25, who decided to be the administrators of these concentration camps and these systems of slaughter, systems of exile, things like that. And, uh, of course, they were overseen by people my age, <laughs> you know, like people who had been <laughs> like teachers and, and business owners and stuff, right, uh, and military yep. men. So, but, you know, but the point, of, the point of that, I think, is really is really intriguing is that, and I don't know, I don't want to overread it. Hunter Rent is really complex and difficult and, and sophisticated. I don't want to blunt what she's saying, but I think Screwtape anticipates that. I mean, C.S. Lewis anticipates that. Because it's really just for screw tape, it's like, what was it? You know, the 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 slope, the downhill slope, the the easy, the easy ride to the end, you know, surround, you know, mm-hmm. why would we want why would we want young men to run out with courage in their hearts and a prayer on their lips, you know, with a rifle, you know, across, you know, the sum, you know, like across, you know, across the hill, you know, gun in hand, ready to die because of their country, because of their faith. Why would we want that when we can have them die after years of weary living and 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 wealth that makes them so comfortable that any little pain is a problem uh, around with doctors who lie to them, nurses who lie to them, friends that lie to them. No, 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 you're not dying. It's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, that uh, I think the word you used was memento mori, right? Remember yep. there is death. Remember you're dying. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's, it really kind of brings us to that. And so I actually like that hell in Screwtape's world. Is a, it feels more less like hell and Dante and more like, a, you know, when you have to get your driver's license renewed. like Oh, the DMV. <laughs> the DMV, right. Oh, brutal. I have, to, I have to do that right now because I moved from New York to Michigan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The low ceilings, the bad lighting. Imagine like 40 years ago, you know, like the – the women at the front line doing all the hard work, you know, and all the men in the back doing the paperwork and suits smoking and the and the blue haze hanging over the fluorescent lighting in a brick room where people are making decisions just based on some system and there's no compassion. Yeah. Yep. That's screw tape. DMV in in, in Detroit in, in 1972. I think that's perfect. Yeah. That's the uh this is this is from a very Catholic perspective, but that's the um a talk that I had heard from this priest that was talking about the Eucharist, and he was talking about this person in China where there, particularly the province he was from, it was banned to have mass. And so they had an underground service, and they're, they're, all their lives were on the line. And mm-hmm. so this guy would go to daily mass because he just held it in such a high regard and wanted to receive it. And at one point he gets caught, and they torture him, and he would not give up the location. That was just, he wouldn't do it. And so eventually they realized it, and... They uh, let him go, and so he takes his family and he realizes, i got to get out of here. So he moves to the United States and actually becomes a member at this priest parish. And so he's coming here, and he's going to daily mass and loving the freedom. And then as time goes on, he starts the American dream kind of starts to set in a little bit, and he realizes he can really help his family and start to bring them to that next level up. And there's noble intentions in the beginning, yeah. but he can't make it to daily mass as frequently. So he's going every few times a week and then slowly becomes once a week, and then slowly becomes just Easter and Christmas. And then he hadn't seen him in two years. And so he goes, what torture and punishment couldn't do to this guy because he wouldn't give it up. 
capitalism or the slow fade of just desiring a better life for your family ultimately pulled him away from his faith. Yeah. And I always think of that. Yeah, I think Slow Fade is a great, that's also a song. I think that's a great image of one of our real challenges. It's not in marriage, in business partnership, in creative partnership, uh, in spiritual life. It, it And those are all parallels, I think, in the letters. It's actually not the great catastrophes, I think, that are the most wearing thing. But Monday to Friday, making lunches, getting out the door on time, office mm-hmm. desk mates, um, you know, HR meetings, you know, uh, those training meetings, you know, where you have to learn how to use a new system or whatever, uh, the commute, <laughs> you know, the Sunday school <laughs> class where nobody is paying attention, the, you know, uh, the substandard art in our lives. Like it's actually this, the weary kind of draining of all these things. And to the fact, like, it's just exhausting, like social media world is just exhausting. Right. I mean, these 100%. like, like the worst tragedy, like my best wishes, we're, we're recording this about three weeks before the American election. My best wishes for America in this pivotal election, uh, my best wishes for peace. I have uh, as a Canadian, I have this great admiration of you all. This may be the day after the election, but the election may not be decided, right? I have this great admiration for all. I think this is the greatest human uh, political project on planet Earth ever. Like, Canada's great, but it's accidental. You guys actually, <laughs> you guys did this. You actually intended to do this. Um, Canada's so cold, they wouldn't even send prisoners um, of war there, right? Or, or like, they wouldn't make it a penal colony. You know, Australia, fine. The outback, okay. You know, United States, Georgia, fine. But not Canada. That's too cruel. <laughs> we made a country here. Um, so, but you guys did this intentionally. And I believe that you can supersede whatever happens. Um, but it's... It's the, I I suspect it'll be just a peaceful move to a second term or to a new presidency, but after some confusion. But uh, I think the damage that we have done to one another on the every tweet, you know, every car honk, every snide comment, every political um, statement that wasn't true or good or beautiful or ideally all three, uh, and there were there's been a lot. I think those things have actually done damage that just wear us down, don't they? Mm-hmm. You know, and then add, you know, I can't get this thing how fixed in my house. I just can't get to the job or, you know, my car just keeps breaking down or the commute, the train's always crowded and just passes me by or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that's like, I don't know, but, but isn't that, but I don't know about you, Matt, but for me, like that's been the COVID reality. Yep. That's what COVID has taught me is actually it's worse than that. It's actually how addicted I am to normal. Interesting. Expand on that. Oh my goodness. I missed. So in our area, um, we, we went into lockdown for, um, for about two, two months or so, two and a half months, and then slowly eased out. Our lockdown worked. We actually didn't get any community spread of COVID. Wow. Yeah, this is partly because we don't have your attentions in America. Uh, and so we have different political leaders. Uh, we're also at the end of a supply chain. We're poorer. We don't travel as much. There's just lots of reasons that this happened. Um, uh, I, you know, arrogance would say it's all because of me, but it's not actually. <laughs> and so we actually we actually have never, in, my, in where I live, there's never been a, a 
um, a community um, infection yet. So only, and there actually hasn't been an institutional infection yet where I live. Um, I know, like no nursing homes. Now, nearby in the nearby provinces, there have. In Canada, there we hit our biggest highs ever uh, in the last, in this week that we're recording. And they'll probably be bigger when this is published. But it's still not extreme. It's still not like, you know, Russia, Brazil, America, India, like the, the biggest, um, the biggest ones, Argentina soon. So it's not like that, it, but it's been interesting. But the lockdown itself showed me like, like social isolation, social distance, not talking to people, not like not being able to be in the same classroom with my students, mm-hmm. not being able to be at dinner table and pub with my friends, not being able to worship with my church in physical form. Um, like I just craved normal. Um, I cra- I crave contact, but and and that but I think that was the good part, was that I needed. Pe- I thought I could be my own person, but I needed people. Uh huh. But the self correcting part is that I craved normal. And uh, what does that say in the letter about? Like, this is the the scary bit, right? What does it say in the letter about pestilence, right? Let me, you know, let me read this because I was, as you're saying this, it's the very last quote we essentially have of this conversation. And I was thinking to myself, this is perfect. So I'm going to read this and then pass it back to you. And pestilence, I think Scrutator is being too specific. I think plague works fine. And pandemic is our nice clinical word for these things, right? Yeah. Go ahead. He says, Screwtape says, I know that Scabtree and others have seen in wars a great opportunity for attacks on faith, but I think the view was exaggerated. The enemy's human partisans have all been plainly told by him that suffering in this is an essential part of what he calls redemption, so that a faith which is destroyed by a war or a pestilence cannot really have been worth the trouble of destroying. I'm, I know, right? I'm speaking now of diffuse suffering over a long period, such as the war will produce. Of course, at this precise moment of terror, bereavement, or physical pain, you may catch your man when his reason is temporarily suspended. But even then, if he applies to enemy headquarters, I have found that the post is nearly always defended. Yeah. Jeez. And so, like, with all due respect to everybody else who's wrong except for me in the world that I would like to use this book as a weapon for. In my case, I began the lockdown with this kind of robust, I even like I wrote an article about it that like, you know, just anticipating all the disheartening things that people were going to say, conspiracy theories and all this. And so I wrote an article against those things at the beginning as a Christian witness article that uh, we can we can do something here for our neighbors and all that kind of stuff, but I have to say, like, like it's not like my I, my faith itself didn't um, disappear or anything, but my sense of spiritual strength or my spiritual stability did, and that was really mm-hmm. like it was really sapped, and this energy that I had was sapped, and that's. Yeah, that was like that was the revealing thing about the pandemic is actually I talked about patterning life after the world. I've actually patterned my life around these series of comforts and contacts and uh, good things in my world. And uh, I'm actually really disruptible. Mm-hmm. I read post-apocalyptic fiction all the time. I love it. You know, I thought, you know, I can imagine, you know, okay, the apocalypse come. What will be my role? Right. Well, yeah. 
I know how to do a garden, right? You know, <laughs> I probably won't be a warrior, but I could probably help plan something. You know what I mean? Like I kind of think it through. As it turns out, I'm going to be the guy crying in the bunker <laughs> As, you know, people with more spirit go out and do the things that need to be do. Because I just, like, what? what I miss, like, Netflix. Or, you know, I miss, like, you know, being able to to put a PowerPoint up on a board and talk about it. Or I miss going to the grocery store. Um, you know, whatever, right? Like, good scotch, right? Like, what, yeah. what, what you know, as it turns out, I, my, the, my sense of robust reality has been kind of dissipated in this yeah and you talked a little bit about this too matt i think in a... i did um and so i won't i won't rehash too much here but short answer is i had the same thing i mean i i realized my weakness through the pandemic my weakness of my habits my weakness of my will discipline my weakness honestly of my spirituality to some degree i and maybe weakness isn't the right term because when we're weak we can when god's grace can make us strong but honestly my vulnerability and my need and so i actually yeah. went to this is not the confession that you and I were talking about before. I went to a confession. Um, the first one I could go back to probably in June, in June in Georgia. So I, after about eight weeks of being in West Michigan and finding myself going in a deep spiral of despair, I living on my own. I, mm. I worked remotely in Georgia with my best friend from college mm. and it was very helpful to at least maintain a level of sanity and to keep moving forward in a good sense. So I didn't get too caught up into some negative traps and, Afterwards, I went to confession when I could to just confess really the last few months of what was on my heart. And the priest was just so gracious and said, what a gift and a grace that God just showed you your vulnerability and need for him. And I was like, yeah, because I pride myself of my will and discipline. I've always taken some of pride in my self-sufficiency. I can do this. I can will this. If there's something that I'm struggling with, I'll white knuckle it. You know, I can do it. Um, and so, yeah, this, this COVID, the, the, the pandemic drastically shifted my view of myself, my strength, my discipline, and my need for god wow yeah i know that's i think there can be benefits i i uh i i have hope and well i have hope in just the normal tangible ways mm -hmm. but i also uh, i want us to take those lessons but i do also want to say to the value do you remember that first time you reconnected with people you know over a lunch or a pint or a coffee or a walk right Mm -hmm. uh, or when you were on a walk and you saw somebody and you could at least wave, right, from a social distance. Or, <laughs> yep. you know, like, you know, when it was no longer a Zoom connection to somebody else, right? And I think that, like, underlying screw tape is the idea of incarnation. And incarnation, the word, car car like, think of the word carnal, mm -hmm. right? It's meat, right? Uh, flesh, right? The enfleshment of our reality is that. Um, God has come to, you know, in the John 1, you know, and the word became flesh. I think Zoom and Skype are limited because they are word and image, but not flesh. And they're beautiful in the sense that they were a gift to us in this pandemic that 100 years ago we couldn't have experienced. Even 10 years ago, it would have been the elites that had connections. But today... Uh, we had that. So a good gift, we take it. But the re-enfleshment gift, the time that we return to church, that we have communion, um, that we or take communion, that we um, hug a family member outside our household, uh, jeepers. And then like, what? 
I don't know. Who knows what could happen? We could go on a date or we could, you know, we, we could play golf or some crazy thing, right? You know, who knows what could Seems happen foreign. in the future. Right? What are you talking about? I've never heard of those things. You know, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, what is that? And so that's the, I think the, um, so I hope that in saying, I think, I think screw tape letters read quickly has a danger of um, being two dimensional and just rebuking and not settling in. I think it's both. I think we have this beautiful opportunity to look at our lives in the midst of this interesting 2020 year, more damagingly interesting in the United States. I don't know that anybody wins on November 4th, to be honest. Um, although the country may be better um, or worse on, 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 on that day or whatever. It's, in the midst of all that, we can learn things about ourselves and we can discover that, like, we can really ask ourselves the question, do I have a wartime faith? Do I have a pestilence faith? You know, do I have a faith that can stand the whole jilting of our world? I like that. Um, in this sense, we're kind of like the worst of two worlds, right? Like, we have the, the, the pestilence is like the smoke and the bomb, you know, like all this, the war stuff that the guy, the guy in the letter is worried about. Right. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, for those of us who are in places where we socially distance, we did lockdowns and then limited lockdowns and then controlled measures and all that to try and reduce the communities for reduce contact to manageable letter levels and all that. We actually don't have the disbenefits like the losses that you would have in war. Like in, in if the United States, which has had, you know, whatever, eight million transmissions you know a couple of hundred thousand coming on a quarter million deaths uh, mm -hmm. you know like what what would your cities look like if a quarter million people died of in warfare right it would be catastrophic right mm -hmm. in the greatest american losses pearl harbor 9 11 3, people right you've had a couple of ship uh carriers go down with a thousand and two thousand three thousand people but like like i mean you're talking like 80 times those levels mm-hmm you know, whole cities leveled, whole city blocks leveled, like the catastrophic loss of war. So, so we have like the benefit, but we also have the deficit that we don't have the her heroism. The heroism is kind of, well, we'll put on a mask, try and stay at home. You know, like, like what, you know, what's the heroism? Yeah. In fact, your heroism is like to burrow yourself in your apartment and watch a bunch of Netflix for I a know, while. Which, and then, and then what do we do? Find out where come, we come out and we're spiritually weaker and five pounds, 10 pounds, 20 pounds heavier. <laughs> yep. You know, that all we've been eating is white food for the last month. And, uh, you know, and actually as a, well, for me, I've discovered that I actually, as a, as a person who's not a big toucher, I actually every now and then need a hug. And I, I, spiritual communion is not enough i actually want tangible uh, yes. connection to the to, uh, to the to the to the lord's uh, supper and um and i want to sing with others and i want mm -hmm. to walk in a place where people are walking and i want to teach where i can see smiles and eyeballs and people falling asleep which sometimes mm -hmm. happens in mm -hmm. classes so yeah i love how we we very gracefully somehow worked our way to the very last paragraph that we were going to go through without <laughs> doing it in um, a chronological way, which is the perfect way to do this. And as we turn to screw tape unscrewed, which is where we take some lessons from this, I want to kick us off actually with the very last sentence of what we just talked about this quote. But even then, if he applies to enemy headquarters, I have found that the post is nearly always defended. 
we've been talking about war. We've been talking about suffering. We've been now connecting it to COVID-19, which is a beautiful way to bring it to our tangible lives. Mm-hmm. And what's the very last sentence of this, of this quote? I don't actually know if it's a chapter. It might not be, um, but it might be. I can't remember. We pull these quotes. It's the last sentence of the quotes that are in our notes. <laughs> yeah, right after it says, uh, the post is nearly always defended. Your affectionate uncle... Screw tape. Yeah. Perfect. This makes me feel better. So then I can make this point more strongly. <laughs> the last thing in all of this, you can hear about how screw tape and wormwood are going to try to destroy your virtue formation and they're going to try to turn you on yourself and try to prevent you from from going into a battle or a certain circumstances living for something beyond yourself. Their goal is to stop all that. And because those are very noble things. And if you're feeling struggle, you're feeling a temptation, what's the first what's the last sentence of this? apply to enemy headquarters, meaning in this case, our heavenly father, like call on him and he's going to always come to your side and provide that grace and that strength. I just, I love the way he he does that. So I'd say for me, my first like screw tape unscrewed is please do (laughs) turn to our heavenly father and call on his grace. Mm. Oh, I think that's, I think that's actually important. I think, and I think it's probably good to leave it there. I, I'm disappointed. Like, I guess I, in my false imagination, and I did look up, it, it is fantasy and elect will is the three concentric circles. There we go. <laughs> You're right. And, and Lewis comes into the faith through fantasy, imagination, and then goes to intellect and then goes to will. So it does follow his conversion, I think, pretty well. There's a book by David Downing called uh, Most Reluctant Convert that basically mm-hmm. uses those three things from Screwtape as the outline to the book yeah it's pretty good i i'm a little disappointed i guess i imagine that you know when the big spiritual crisis would come that my prayer life would enhance be like i don't know magically enhanced right Mm -hmm. but of course it's really only the reflection of my daily prayer life i don't know it's like being in the basketball stands remember when people used to go and watch a basketball game right (laughs) no i've never done that yeah never done that. (laughs) it's a long time ago (laughs) you know in the midtime thing when they call someone down and they can win a car if they get like a three-point uh basket from half the half court shot yeah that's right yeah nobody ever gets it right like one in a one in a blindfolded well, that's right. And and it's like one in 20,000 and that's the odds they need to pay off the car, right? Based on the yep. investment of the thing or whatever. And so, but of course, like, you know, that's what like prayer in crisis is, right? You know, like, I think we imagine that we'll have this kind of spiritual energy in the right moment, but it's actually really just based upon the normal exercises that we're a part of. And if I spend the next five years throwing three points from the half line, you know, I actually have a pretty good chance, you know, one in three of making it when the when the time comes that the mm-hmm. the car is before me, right? Um, mm-hmm. And spiritually speaking, it's actually the same, right? And and I ha- I had, I've been kind of fooling myself, I think, a little bit and a little spiritually lazy, but I actually don't speak with any kind of condemnation either, right? Right? There's a there's a real sense through the letters that that to over own a deficit would be as dangerous as to overown a strength. And that in any case, it's actually, there's this kind of like the patient is plodding along spiritually and then something dynamic happens. Well, the something dynamic is usually outside of his control, you know, war bombs, uh, a spiritual mm-hmm. experience, uh, a relationship. A pandemic. Yeah, a pandemic, a relation. Yeah, a relationship. You know, and uh, in in those cases, like his progress, his pilgrim's progress, 
is 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 the simple result of what comes before but the energy that moves it forwards is still the holy spirit's energy is still god's energy and i think um so i don't feel condemned i don't feel lost uh, mm-hmm. the my discouragement is what local is that a right word you know um and i like that yeah but the plan is bigger and and so i like this I like this uh, chapter for, for that, um, and I think Lewis does a pretty good job at the the upside downness because I can read this chapter. Screw tape is a great plan. He's clearly tackling me in this letter, and yet in the end, I don't think it's hopeless. I don't think his strategy is enough. Yeah, because God is bigger. Yeah. I love that. What would you say? A couple, if you have any um, lessons you got from this, the screw tape unscrewed. Yeah. Short, simple. Yeah, like in in the short point, it's I, I'm increasingly worried about utilitarianism. Like the ends justify the means. I think is a cultural concern. Mm-hmm. I think it's a cultural concern that we're we can't see from God's perspective the beauty that other people bring uh, to their point of view. Um, not that we shouldn't do the right thing for us, but that we should. I think. I'm rebuking my community, our community, and how we're living in the midst of a culture war. And yeah. frankly, from a Christian perspective, if the cross is our pattern, if we are to imitate Christ, imitation of Christ, what did Christ do in the midst of um, in the midst of a great battle? Is actually he died. He lost the war against the culture. Uh, the Roman reality, the Roman machine crushed him, and he allowed that crushing. I don't know how, in the pattern of a cross, we can win a culture war. Um, however, we can be good neighbors, and I think we can um, we can make good decisions, and I think we can play out the rightness that we see in the world with passion and energy, um, and do it in a way that's transformative. So I think that's what I want to take away. Uh, the the COVID stuff is more personal, and hopefully, it leads to better things than me. You know. But I don't know. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, op- we'll I'm optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I want to be optimistic. The jury's still out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I want to be optimistic too. That's my goal. Is to, yeah. yeah, absolutely. A couple civil ones I had uh, for listeners was: uh, do offer up your suffering to our heavenly Father in the cross. Um, we didn't talk as much about redemptive suffering here. That was it was briefly mentioned, but for me, that's I just really love that topic. Um, I put do strive to live for something beyond yourself. So thinking that momentum, Maury, and how going into war, that that thought of um, you're dying for something beyond yourself was was a very noble thing. Mm. And really focus on virtue formation and and vice versa in times of negative desolation, which is more what I've personally experienced since I was like yourself in the COVID of trying to stay vigilant to not allow the negative habits to form. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's practical. It's, it's simple, but it's in reality, it's incredibly hard to implement because when you're feeling negative emotions, in my case, you're living on my own loneliness, some despair, mm. those habits that the negative habits form because you think that you need them to cope with it. And it's, it's a tough thing, but trying to stay as vigilant as possible and recognizing with that heavenly and hellish creatures that the little things start to to build on themselves. Those are some things I really got from this chapter. Yeah, if I can just speak pastorally, and I am a um, trained as a pastor, I, I would love it. I would. I want to I want to for those listeners who were like us, really rocked. Actually, rocked isn't the right word. We were we were stoned by 
the pandemic, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was a, like maybe that. a bad a bad switch of metaphors there, but like where we were <laughs> we were stunned by it more than than yeah. our whole foundation shaken, where we're just like dulled by it, anesthetized by it, where we feel like we're not going to become unstuck. That um, is it. Letter four. There's the previous letter that that talks about the fact, or um, it may be an upcoming letter on prayer that talks about the fact that uh, you know, screw tape. Uh, make sure that wormwood doesn't remind the patient that a lot of our feeling of success, spiritual success, and all these things is actually ha- has to do with like sleep, diet, you know, like yep. you know, luck. Or whatever, yep. right? Just timing, right? And I want you to speak to people and say, you know, like this too shall pass. That's the like that's the beginning of the nativity is that this too shall pass, and the season will will go, and that we will learn from it, and that we we have bigger things than this. It could be that the you know that we're wiped out by a plague that piggybacks off this or something. But actually, I suspect that it's actually what we do to one another that will count more than what the pandemic does to us. That's I actually think that's true. And I think I that too. yeah, and I think that we can live robustly and that this will not define us completely, but actually the image of Christ in us is what actually defines us. And in that sense, we are invincible, uh, we have great light, uh, we are witnesses and we have been made in the image of God unlike any of the things in our world, including our habits and our hopes. And uh, and that who knows what cool things may come, which may be greater than than what we had previously imagined. And I'm speaking as somebody whose whose career basically disappeared in the midst of this pandemic. Right? I, you know, finished a PhD last year, and now I'm ready to go into a global job search to be a professor. Well, guess what? Nobody's looking for a professor. Um, and shockingly, nobody's looking for a professor in like screw tapeology or something. So, <laughs> so I just want to speak to people just to give you courage. It will. It's bigger than this. It'll be bigger than this. And and the adventure of faith. Um, well, you may you may die tomorrow. You're not promised anything. But in general, I think actually is richer um, than anything that that we've kind of counted on. That COVID has revealed to us that we've counted on. I think. I'm going to leave the listeners with that. Hmm. I think that was yeah. a beautiful way to pull this to ending. And so I'm also assuming, Brenton, as, as people have just heard that, they were going to learn a little bit more about you, your work. Um, obviously, they've gotten to hear your heart and your intelligence and intellect all throughout this. So share a little bit where they can learn more about you and some of your work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually right in the midst of the social media stuff. Like I'm on Instagram. You can search my name, Brenton Dickerson, and, and I'm on Twitter. It's at Brenton Dana. But my main spot, I suppose, is my blog, apilgrimandnarnia.com. Mm-hmm. I curate that, uh, guest posts, and I think we're over 1,050 posts um, over the wow. last few years. Yeah, it's a, a big project. It includes some research on screw tape. If you just search screw tape, you'll see some neat things. If you want to dig into the imaginative world, the nerd stuff, that nerd <laughs> stuff is there, including a paper, by the way, that came out today in Myth Lore Journal. So a, a very prominent journal on screw tape, um, but also like articles like um, that I wrote called the living dot Li- the living lie, but dead men tell the truth. The screw tape letters and Tolstoy's Ivan Illich, and it's just about your word, 
memento mori yeah so check me out at pilgrimandarnia.com and that will get you where you want to go man i already want to check out especially that last one <laughs> sure i'll tweet it out right now yeah perfect <laughs> um well first of all i mean thank you so much brenton this has been absolutely fantastic it's been a pleasure to have you on listeners i hope you guys enjoyed that if you have any questions feel free to shoot us an email like he said go check out his website the follow on the social media And as always, listeners, join us next time when we're going to be going further up and further in. Cheers.